Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We began looking last week in verses 8 to 10 at a partial list of the spiritual gifts. A couple people told me things I've never heard before this week. They said, you were going too fast. So I slowed down this week. We're going to do one gift this morning. We covered three last week. We're going to cover the fourth this morning. We see it at the end of verse 9 where it says, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Now, to be more accurate, since there is no article in the original Greek and since the words gift and healing are both plural, it should read, to another gifts of healings by the one spirit. Now, why is it plural? Well, it seems to suggest that there are varieties of sicknesses that are healed, and there are varieties of manners in which the healings take place. Now, this is a fascinating gift. It's kind of like a tangible parable of the spiritual purpose of the gifts, and that is the strengthening and upbuilding of the body. It accomplishes physically what the spiritual gifts are intended to accomplish spiritually. So we've got the gifts of healings. You say, well, how does it work? Well, we have examples in Scripture that I think we can look at. The best example is the Lord Jesus. And I'd like to start by just pointing out six characteristics of the way Jesus healed people. First of all, Jesus healed with just a word or a touch. Jesus would say, be cleansed, be healed, stretch out your hand. Or he would touch someone or someone would touch him. Or in one case, he, he took clay and he put it on a blind man's eyes and he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. In Matthew chapter 8, the centurion said to Jesus, My servant is lying paralyzed. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion said, Just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus said, It's done. And it was. Jesus healed with a word or a touch. Secondly, Jesus healed instantaneously. Matthew 8.13 says the centurion's servant was healed that very moment. Mark 5.29 tells us the woman with the bleeding problem was healed immediately. In Luke 17.14, the ten lepers were healed as they went along the way, instantaneously. In Luke 5.13, Jesus touched a man with leprosy and said, Be cleansed. And the Bible says, and immediately the leprosy left him. In John 5, 9, to the man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus said, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And the Bible says, and immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. 
Jesus told the man born blind in John 9 to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And it says, and so he went away and washed and came back seen. When we look at Jesus' healing, people didn't claim to get healed and then go home sick. People didn't say, yeah, the Lord healed me, and since he healed me, I'm feeling a lot better. No. Jesus never did progressive healing. He healed instantaneously. Now, the one exception I can find to that is in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus healed in two stages. He touched the eyes of a blind man, and the blind man said, I see men like trees walking around. And he touched him a second time, and it says he saw clearly. And if you look in the context of that, I think it's a tangible parable for the disciples at that point in time because right before that, Jesus looked at them and said, don't you understand? And he was really saying in, in the form of the way he healed this man that the disciples need that, needed that second touch spiritually to really be able to see because they were seeing men like trees walking around. But every other occasion, Jesus healed instantaneously. Thirdly, Jesus healed totally. In Luke 4, 39, Peter's mother-in-law was suffering from high fever. It says, and standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately arose and began to wait on them. People that he healed ate, they walked, they carried their beds, they served him, they followed him. There was no recuperation period. There was no physical therapy that had to take place. It was total healing, and that's the only kind he did. Fourth, Jesus healed everybody. Luke 4.40 says, And while the sun was setting, all who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on every one of them, he was healing them. Now, when I say he healed everyone, what I mean is that everyone that he desired to heal, he healed. Now, on some occasions, he came into an area and he healed an individual, and he didn't heal everybody else. That was his discernment, his discretion in that case. But everyone he desired to heal, he healed with one exception. When he was faced with blatant unbelief, even Jesus couldn't heal. In Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, he was in Nazareth, and it says, And he could do no miracle except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them, and he wondered at their unbelief. But nowhere is there an example where someone wanted to be healed and Jesus sent them away because he couldn't heal them. When the faith was there, and the faith is almost, almost always there when you're talking about sick people because no one has more faith than a sick person, When the faith was there, Jesus healed everybody. Fifth, Jesus healed organic disease. Jesus did not go up and down Palestine healing functional diseases like low back pain, headaches. He didn't lengthen legs. 
When we see what Jesus did in his healing ministry, he healed palsy, crippled legs, blind eyes, withered hands, leprosy. Six, Jesus raised the dead. In Luke 7, he raised the son of the woman at Nain. In Luke chapter 9, he raised to life Jairus' daughter. In John chapter 11, he brought Lazarus back to life. That's the healing ministry of Jesus. Now, let's look at the healing ministry of the 12 disciples and the 70 that Jesus sent out and those in the book of Acts like Philip and Stephen and Barnabas. What can we say about them? Six characteristics. Number one, they healed with a word or a touch. Acts 28.8 says, And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. They healed with a word or a touch. Second, they healed instantaneously. Acts chapter 9, verse 32, we read this. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately, he got up. He was paralyzed. He hadn't made his bed in eight years, and he was healed immediately. Third, they healed totally. In Acts chapter 3, we read about a lame man who was being carried by the gate of the temple, begging alms. And Peter's response to him is given to us in verse 6. It says, but Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I would say that's being healed totally. Fourth, they healed everybody. Acts chapter 5 and verse 12 says, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also the temple, also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Fifth, they healed organic disease. In Acts chapter 3, the man at the temple gate 
was crippled from birth. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 16, we're told that they carried the sick to them. Why do you carry people? Because they're so sick they can't walk. In Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip, that he healed the lame and the paralyzed. And then sixthly, they raised the dead. In Acts chapter 9, we read about Tabitha, or in Greek, her name is Dorcas. I prefer Tabitha. She died. Peter came along and said, Tabitha, arise. And she came back to life. In Acts chapter 20, we read about Eutychus, the young man who was listening to Paul preach in the windowsill and fell out and fell three stories to his death. And Paul said, I'll be right back. And he went down and raised him from the dead and brought him back, and I'm sure he was listening better the second time. Now, I point all this out to say that all the examples of healing in the Scripture show us individuals who healed with a word or a touch, instantaneously, totally, healed everybody who came in faith, healed organic diseases, and even raised the dead. What's my point? My point is simply this. If someone claims to have this gift today, I think they need to be consistent with what the Bible says. I would say, do it the same way. And personally, I don't see that happening today. I would love to have this gift. I'd go this afternoon to Southeast Hospital and St. Francis Hospital, and I would empty out the hospitals. But as I look around today, I don't see what I see in Scripture by an individual who has this kind of giftedness. And so my tendency is to say that that gift is not in operation today for two reasons. One, because I don't see it. And two, because there are scriptures to indicate that God used this gift as a sign to unbelievers of the validity of his message in the early church. Paul talked in 2 Corinthians Chapter 12 and verse 12 about the signs of an apostle. There were certain signs that accompanied Paul to verify his message. But you know what's interesting about Paul? Even though he had this gift, he didn't use this gift arbitrarily. It was intended to be a sign, and it wasn't, when it wasn't useful as a sign, we find that Paul was not using this gift. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20, Paul makes an interesting little statement. He says, Trophimus I, left, Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. Hmm. Why did Paul leave Trophimus sick at Miletus when he had the gift of healing? Obviously, he didn't use it arbitrarily. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he talks about his thorn in the flesh. We're not told specifically what that is. I think I could argue that it probably was some kind of eye issue that Paul had from various scriptures. But Paul says it was a thorn in the flesh, and I prayed three times for the Lord to take it away, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to keep that illness. 
In 1 Timothy 5, 23, he wrote to Timothy and said, Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. Interesting that he didn't just go to Timothy and heal him. But it was not a gift that he used arbitrarily. In James chapter 5 and verse 14, we read this. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the guy with a gift of healing. Is that what your Bible says? No. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And then in that same passage, it says, you're to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now, be careful with what I'm saying today. I am not saying that God has stopped healing. I think God heals today, but I think his primary way of healing is not through an individual today, but through corporate prayer today as we pray for individuals. Now, there are two doctrines that I have a problem with that are often associated with those who claim this gift today. And those two doctrines are, number one, that all sickness in Christians is due to sin. And the second doctrine is that God wants every Christian healthy. Two doctrines. All sickness is a result of sin, and God wants everybody to be healthy. Why are Christians sick? Let me give you three possible reasons. One, Satan makes some people sick. Should make everybody sick. Satan makes some people sick. Luke 13, 11 says, And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. So Satan makes some people sick. Second, God allows Satan to sometimes make someone sick. Read the book of Job. Satan had to check in with God to see how far he could go in Job's life, and he brought tragedy to Job's life, but also uh, sickness to his body. Why did God allow that? It's a great line in Job. Job 42.5. At the end of all the turmoil, Job says to God, I have heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Great line. God, I used to hear about you with my ears. I, I kind of got secondhand knowledge about you. But now that I've been through all of this, my eye sees you. What happened? God was perfecting Job through that tragedy and through that illness that he allowed Satan to bring into his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul personally talks about the thorn in his flesh, and he calls it a messenger from Satan, and he says that God allowed it in his life to keep him from exalting himself. What was the purpose of that thorn in the flesh? To knock his pride down a level so that he could serve God more effectively. So sometimes God allows sickness in our lives, allows Satan to bring sickness into our lives for a higher purpose. You see, God's main goal for your life 
is not that you're healthy. God's main goal for your life is that you glorify him. And sometimes that can happen in its greatest way through our suffering and through our own sickness. So Satan sometimes makes people sick. God allows Satan sometimes to make people sick. Let me give you a third one. God can cause sickness in your life for discipline. In Numbers chapter 12, Miriam sinned and God struck her with leprosy and she was put outside of the camp. Temporary leprosy. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Elisha's servant Gehaza sinned. You remember Naaman came and got his leprosy removed and he had a lot of gifts and he wanted to give them to Elisha and Elisha says, I don't want your gifts. Elisha went back in his house and his servant was thinking, wow, this is pretty nice gifts. So Naaman got down the road a little ways going home and he, he ran down and caught him and said, uh, a couple guys showed up unexpectedly at the house and uh, Elisha decided he wants some of those gifts. So he took the gifts to his own house sinned against the Lord, sinned against Elisha. You know what happened? He got Naaman's leprosy. Listen to this passage, Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, I'll just read three verses out of this passage, but in chapter 28, verse 20, it says, The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew. And they will pursue you until you perish. The consequences of sin... Sometimes God brings illness as a consequence of our disobedience. Listen to another verse. Two verses, actually, out of Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You ever heard that testimony? I was going astray until God afflicted me, and now I keep his word. God does that to discipline us. Verse 71 says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Sometimes God brings illness to discipline the sin in our lives, and the people in Corinth had experienced that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30, It says, many are weak and sick and a number sleep because they were abusing the Lord's Supper. Now, having said that, let me qualify it. Just because healing is not God's goal in my life doesn't mean it isn't a goal. And when you get sick or someone you love gets sick, you need to anticipate God's healing. 
And let me give you three reasons for that. Number one, because of his person. In Exodus 15, 26, it says, the Lord is your healer. And it's actually the Hebrew word Jehovah Rapha. It's a name of God. One of God's names is the Lord, your healer, which tells me by his very nature, he is our healer because that's his name. So when we think about healing, we, we think about, first of all, it, it's reflective of God's person that he will heal us. Secondly, because of his promise, look at Psalm 103. If you've never marked these words, they're worth marking. Psalm 103. Actually, you ought to underline the first five verses. Put a little star by it. But look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Not only is it the person of God, his character to heal, it's also the promise of God. Interestingly, the Bible tells us that God has promised that whatever we ask, in his name, John 14, 13, and 14, in faith, Matthew 21, 22, according to his will, 1 John 5, 14, and persistently, Luke eleven nine, he will do. Whatever we ask, in his name, in faith, according to his will, and persistently, God will do. So when you are ill, when your loved one is ill, we need to come in prayer, in faith, and ask, expecting, because God has promised. Look at James chapter 5 again. I, I read it earlier, or referred to it earlier. But in James chapter 5, I want you to notice the wording here. James chapter 5 and verse 14. says, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Not might, will, that's a promise. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Why should I anticipate healing? Because of the person of God. He is Jehovah, our healer. Second, because of the promise of God. He has promised that if we come in faith, if we ask, he will heal. And then thirdly, because of his pattern. And, of course, God's pattern was established through Jesus. 
Jesus healed to fulfill prophecy. And Jesus healed to validify who he is. In fact, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says many other signs Jesus did that are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Why did he do the signs? Why did he heal? To verify who he is so that we might believe that he's the Messiah. That's one aspect of his healing. But there was another aspect of his healing that I really love And it's expressed in a passage like Mark chapter 1. If you want to look, you can. But in Mark chapter 1, I'll read it to you. Mark chapter 1, it's interesting. Jesus says in verse 38, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for this is what I came for. Jesus, uh, there's a house full of sick people over here, and I don't have time right now. I've got to preach. So he goes out to preach. And then notice verse 40. I love this. Jesus is saying, i got to go preach. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. I just love that. Jesus says, I've I've got to preach. I've got to move on and leave these sick people behind because I've got to preach. And he sees a man with a need, and he's moved with compassion, and he heals him. Jesus healed to fulfill prophecy. He healed to verify who he is, but he healed as well out of compassion for people. And so we should anticipate healing because of God's person, He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Because of his promise, he has promised throughout Scripture that he will heal. And because of his pattern, he has compassion on us and heals us. But having said that, I need to anticipate God's healing in my life, but at the same time, I need to be ready for the fact that God may have a higher purpose for allowing me to go through sickness. And whether there is an active gift of healing available to us today or not, we are encouraged to pray for one another. And I need to be careful that I have a proper balance between my faith in God as my healer and my submission to God as my sovereign. That's the balancing act in this issue. Let me close by reading a passage out of a book by a fellow that uh, is actually a fellow that I know named George Malone. uh, Wrote a book called Those Controversial Gifts. And let me just read from that book. Steve, a young businessman who had been following Christ for a number of years, awoke one morning to find large lumps under his chin and armpits. Consulting his doctor that day, he was immediately hospitalized. Two Christians in the hospital, one a physician and the other a biophysicist specializing in cancer research, took a look at their friend's biopsy report. A textbook case of Hodgkin's disease, reported one of them. Within a few hours, word spread to Steve's house group and church 
the entire community launched a prolonged session of prayer and fasting. The house group maintained a 24-hour prayer chain. Every visitor took time to lay hands on Steve and ask God for his gracious intervention. There was no sense that we had to demand Steve's healing or even encourage him to more faith. We simply trusted God and beseeched him for mercy. Graciously, God answered our prayers. Three days after Steve entered the hospital, the lumps disappeared. He had received no medical treatment. Remission, wrong diagnosis, miracle, who can say? All that can be affirmed is that God hears and answers prayers. All situations may not end this way, but Scripture instructs us that all who are sick should at least be prayed for in this way. And then he says, of those not healed. Matt was a fine high school athlete. On one of those first plays from scrimmage, Matt thrust himself at an approaching fullback. There was a snap, followed by the immediate loss of all physical sensation. Matt, the linebacker, became Matt, the quadriplegic. Many people visited Matt over the ensuing months and prayed for his healing. One even prostrated himself before his bed and claimed he would not move until Matt was healed. Eventually, he walked out again, but Matt did not. In spite of the misdirected zeal of many Christians, Matt's faith and courage grew. Those of us who enjoy life and relative health can place an unbearable burden on those who suffer. Our prayers for healing can have a threatening and condemning effect. Our prayers for healing can have a threatening and condemning effect unless we offer them with humility, love, and support. Job's verbose and theologically misguided friends kindled God's wrath because they had not been right in what they had said about God. Job 42.7. With our practice of the healing ministry, we must build a parallel theology of suffering, not as a place to hide when healing does not come, but as a way of understanding another mode of the work of God in the lives of his people, suffering. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Jesus Christ delivered and healed people victoriously. He also suffered for them vicariously. He has become to us the wounded healer. And our own lives will no doubt be a reflection of his, both wounded and healed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the God that you are. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. We thank you for your promises to heal us. We thank you for the pattern of the Lord Jesus who showed compassion 
on those in sickness. And yet, Father, help us to realize that our life is just a vapor. And that your main purpose for our life is not just that we're healthy. Your main purpose for our lives is that you shape us into the character of Jesus and that we give you glory. And so, Father, we would recognize the balance today between our faith in you as our healer and our submission to you as our sovereign God. And, Lord, keep us from laying guilt on people who suffer. Help us to be sensitive that we don't know it all. And help us to have the compassion of Jesus. As we walk through this world, we pray in his worthy name. Amen.